Welcome to the Infertility Stress Podcast, where we talk about how to care for your mind and your nervous system during your fertility treatment process, so you can spend less time in overwhelm, anxiety, and burnout, and more time living your life. I'm Michelle Kapler, fertility acupuncturist, board-certified reproductive specialist, and feminist mindset coach, and you've got episode 55. Hello, my dear. Thanks for being here with me. Before I get into the episode today, I want to remind you that the new membership is coming in just a couple of weeks. The doors are opening September 1st, and if you want one of the limited founding member spots at a special rate, you'll need to be on my email list. The membership is going to give you the awesome combination of a community of people going through fertility treatments and wanting to learn to manage their human brains so they can feel less stress and simply live their lives during the fertility treatment process. And you'll also have the chance to coach with me one-on-one every week. It's not a venting session. It's not commiseration. It's not a sob fest. This is about how to feel better and live your life and to meet some amazing people who are doing the same thing. So to get on the list, you can head over to the show notes of this episode or any episode and click on sign up for Michelle's email list. Okay, so let's get into the episode. A few weeks ago, I had the pleasure of being interviewed by Emily Getz on her podcast called The Day One Podcast, maybe clearly about fertility as well. Emily is an amazing person. She has such an interesting and unique objective during her fertility treatment process, which she's also going through, which is to just live her life while she's going through it. And she talks about that on her podcast, and I just love it. In this episode, she's interviewing me, but do head over to her podcast and give her a listen. You will not regret it. And if you want to hear more from her, come on over to Instagram and let me know because I'll bring her for an interview on this podcast. Even better, when you're listening to this episode, take a screenshot and tag us both on Instagram. It will warm our hearts to know that you've loved our conversation, and it might inspire someone else to listen to our conversation who needs to hear it. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Emily Getz. Hello. Hello, thanks for having me today. Thank you so much for being here. Right before I pressed record, we were about to like, we have so many juicy topics we want to dive into. (laughs) I know. And we had that meeting before and I was like, oh, why didn't we record any of this? This was so good. It was gold. I know. We're going to recreate it for everybody. Love it. I'm in. So let's first tell everyone who you are. I've stopped doing intros because I suck at them. And then all my guests have to basically like reel reel it back and explain. So give everyone the lay of the land before we dive into all of our interesting conversation today. Yeah, of course. So just the cold note synopsis. Um, Hi, everyone. I'm Michelle Kapler. I'm a fertility-focused acupuncturist and Chinese medicine practitioner. I'm also a board-certified fertility specialist with the American Board of Oriental Reproductive Medicine. I'm a mentor and coach for folks who are experiencing stress and anxiety during their infertility treatment process, and I'm a proud feminist. I have three clinical locations in the greater Toronto area for acupuncture and Chinese medicine, specifically in the area of gynecology and reproductive endocrinology. 
and I provide coaching, consulting, and mentorship to people all over the world during the fertility process. And I'm on a mission to change women's healthcare for the better because even in modern times, it just isn't where it should be. And I'm also a passionate advocate for body literacy for women starting at a very young age because when we know exactly how our bodies work, we can better advocate for our own medical care. And a little bit about me personally, I live in Ontario, Canada on an off-grid homestead with my husband, my two kids, my 24 chickens, and my cat. And we grow food and hang out in our forest on our days off. And that's that's me in a nutshell. That is a big nutshell. A giant nutshell. Yeah. That is a mouthful and so impressive. And um, why it's kind of exciting to have you as a guest is because we could pro- like there's so many topics we could explore um, having you on. So um, I think you and I have been like, what's the, what's the topic we want to talk to about today, knowing all of the amazing um, expertise that you can bring? And I'm sure we will dive into many different things, knowing myself. But I want to kick off around this conversation that you brought up to me that I was like, wow, I never thought of this before around this pressure that women specifically have around reproduction based off just pure on the fact that we are women in history, like that we were put on this earth to do this. And even like, I've never, that has never come into my like consciousness that that that's a pressure, but I want you to dive into like, is it there in my subconscious mind? And I don't even know. Yeah, that's a really interesting question. And just to put a caveat out there, all the themes that I'm going to talk about today, they're generalizations. And of course, everybody is unique and individual in the way that they look at the world and the way they see their infertility. Um, So this isn't necessarily a blanket statement that applies to everybody involved. But I've learned a thing or two. I should, about... sorry. I'm like, I should have that on my podcast at the front. <laughs> that should be in my intro. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I'm stealing well, it. Go ahead. <laughs> and and the thing about working with people over and over and over again for the same medical condition for 12 plus years in my career is that you know that everybody has a different reason that they're coming to the table with when it comes to their infertility and everybody needs an individualized solution and situation. But it's been really interesting to observe that end of the, at the end of the day, our brains go to some very specific places kind of universally in this process. And so lately I've been exploring this idea of burnout and this concept of burnout in the context of infertility and how usually when we think about burnout, it's in relationship to our jobs or our career. But this concept of burnout, which I define as a decline in emotional resilience, um, it can happen in other areas of life too. So it could be in the context of a relationship or it could be in the context of being a caregiver or in a chronic medical condition. And infertility definitely can fit under this umbrella and how we relate to ourselves emotionally and how we relate to the world around us can land us in this place of burnout. And there are so many obvious contributors to this in the context of infertility, things like the invasiveness and the physical pain of the procedures that one sometimes or often needs when it comes to being infertile. There's the cost of everything. There's the waiting. There's the unmet expectations over and over and over again. And that's super obvious to anybody that's in this process 
and their care providers. But what I'm really interested in looking at these days is how is that burnout also formed, not just from those obvious contributors, but also the not so obvious things. And what I mean by that is that running inner dialogue that we have that kind of creates this decline, the steady decline in emotional resilience, just because of the way that we're talking to ourselves throughout of it. And that comes from a lot of things. But to get back to your point in this very long and roundabout way, um, thinking about those internalized, socialized conditioning that we experience as people socialized as women that are saying things like, the only thing that you should be doing in this life is having babies. And then there's more subtle messaging too, like, as a woman, your body should be able to do this naturally and effortlessly and without intervention. And we're told this over and over and over again, both implicitly and explicitly by educators as a young age, by modern culture, by media. And that can get into your brain in a pretty big way, even if you don't realize it. And if you layer that on top of something that's a legitimate medical diagnosis, but isn't really talked about and has this kind of cloud of shame and secrecy and taboo around it, then it creates this dissonance where you're like, well, if I'm supposed to be like doing this beautiful, natural thing that all women should be doing, but my body's not doing that, then it creates a lot of blame and shame and self-doubt. And it's kind of this running dialogue that wears us down over time. I'm just taking in that response because it's so layered in in decades of our lives. You know, it's like this thing that we don't really think is a big deal when we're growing up. So, which I actually find so interesting in this conversation with you, which is like, I grew up where I had like sex ed, where I was like, I don't even want to hear about the birds and bees. Like, I don't really care. And, um, an assumption that this would happen whenever I wanted it to happen. And this idea, I remember even speaking to my mom and being like, I don't want kids. And my mother had her own fertility struggles, real deep fertility struggles. And I remember, I mean, I couldn't even put my, I couldn't even digest that. But my point more or less was that there was nothing in my Sphere anything that made me believe that this wasn't possible because that was all the messaging that I got as like an adolescent growing up. Totally. And that's a really interesting point in that when we're educating our children, but especially our young women, um, and I think that people of all genders should be fully taught about how their bodies work, obviously, uh, but especially when it comes to girls and kids socialized as women. I think there's kind of this old idea that we don't really need to be extensively taught about how our bodies work. All we really need to know is don't have sex yes. or you'll get pregnant. And then also conversely, don't wait too long because you might not get pregnant. I think that's thrown into there sometimes too. But I find it so interesting in clinical practice that I spend a lot of time just educating people on the very basic ways their bodies work. So 
I've had so many conversations where I'm explaining, yeah, this is how you determine when the first day of your cycle is. This is how you determine how long a cycle is. This is how ovulation works. These are the signs that your body is going to give you during your cycle to let you know when you're fertile and when you're not. And conversely, this is how you might know if something is off or requires attention. And what that does is it allows people to have a full concept of what's going on and therefore allow them to be able to advocate for the best medical care possible for themselves. And we just don't prioritize that in a big, in a big way. I think it's it's getting better in the later generations and our kids and people that age might have a better understanding of how it works. But I remember in school, it was just like, yeah, wear a condom and go on the pill because you can get pregnant anytime and you could get pregnant just by sitting on a toilet seat. And they didn't teach us any of this stuff just about how nuanced it is and how complicated it is. And on the flip side, when you think about all gen- like gender inclusivity, it's like going even back to our conversation around people with ovaries, assuming that they're going to be able to reproduce. Then when they have their face of male infertility, I really do think male infertility is like we're already so quiet around infertility as a whole. But women, I, I think, are just more vocal. We want a community for it. Um, and if you are having issues from the male side, um, it it how how have you dealt with that from your patients even talking about it? Because they are like, well, I've I'm kind of subconsciously ready. I can do this. My body can do this. And I'm now having to deal with something that I didn't even expect to deal with on that side, which is never talked about. I mean, we were sitting here saying like, I didn't even know about ovulation. Well, I don't even think they understand that like you could have no sperm. (laughs) A hundred percent. And I mean, it's a big topic, obviously, but it's a really interesting example of just how patriarchy works in that it's a pretty widely accepted theme that a lot of people just take for granted that quote unquote fertility is a woman's problem. That if like, let's say a couple's having recurrent miscarriage, then it's clearly the woman's fault or the people with eggs and ovaries, it's their fault. It couldn't. But when you look at the actual science behind it, I think that The last time I looked at the statistics, it was something like 30% of infertility is female side, 30% is male side, and then 40% is a combination of both. And you're pretty much, when you look at the science, you kind of have to acknowledge that it's pretty much 50-50 when it comes to causal factors and not that it's about blame or anything like that. But to take it back to your question, clinically speaking, what that means is that 95% of my patients coming in for treatment are the people with eggs and ovaries, the women. And what's even more interesting to observe is that even when it is a diagnosed case of male infertility, even if it has been said by their doctor, it's the sperm, it has nothing to do with the eggs or the uterus or the ovaries, all of that is totally fine it's still the woman, the person with the eggs and the ovaries coming in for the acupuncture treatment, wanting to eat fertility foods, doing fertility yoga, doing all of these things to optimize her fertility. Meanwhile, she has a partner who smokes a pack a day, 
and drinks like a fish and isn't really interested in making any lifestyle changes, even though those lifestyle changes might be well supported in research. You know, for example, smoking cigarettes is pretty widely accepted as being not a great thing when you're trying to conceive. But it's so interesting that even if it's a male issue, it's still it's still the person with the eggs and the ovaries coming in and doing all of this work. And I think it comes from this unconscious understanding that the responsibility of making the children and carrying the children and bringing the children into the world falls almost exclusively on the woman. Oh, that's such a good point. And I think it brings us back to your conversation around burnout. It's like, talk to me about that. Talk to me about your thoughts on on just that concept, because um, I've actually never heard the word burnout in reference to fertility. I think it's usually described as like, you know, don't let it take over your entire life. Like, make sure you're not super stressed, figure out how to like relax. I mean, day one is, that's the gap that, you know, day one is hopefully filling is kind of teaching how to um, move away from burnout and how to live your life and go through all of this. But I love the connotation with that word. Um, can, Can you talk to us a bit about that? Yeah, of course. So to define what burnout actually is conceptually, there's a couple of definitions that are actually given by the World Health Organization. So if you look at how that's defined, um, it would be defined as exhaustion. So a sense of overwhelming exhaustion that you just can't shake. And I would also refer to this as tiredness. And it's kind of like, you just feel tired all the time. And even if you get a good night's sleep, you just kind of wake up and feel terrible and tired anyway. And you're just kind of worn out all the time. Maybe you take a month off of treatment or maybe you go on vacation, you come back and you're just like, oh, I'm still so tired. And then the next thing is this sense of cynicism and detachment. It's kind of that feeling of like numbness or just really kind of meh about your fertility process or what you're doing. And then there's also under the definition from the World Health Organization, there's this feeling and lack of accomplishment. And I'm not saying that it's actually a lack of accomplishment, but it's this sense, this inner dialogue of what am I doing? I'm five years into this and I still have nothing to show for it. Like that kind of dialogue that one might have with themselves. And then there's also this decline in emotional resilience that I've seen time and time and time again in clinical practice. And that's not necessarily defined by the World Health Organization, but it's just kind of this decline in the ability to bounce back from things as maybe you could in the past. Um, It's also maybe that you're just kind of emotionally on a short fuse. So maybe you're snapping at your partner or the clinic staff for things that you in your mind don't really think are a big deal. Or maybe you're just feeling exhausted and anxious and overwhelmed all the time and you just don't get a break from it at all. So it's things like that. So that can happen in the context of infertility as well, especially if it's like, we all know that it's more of a marathon than a sprint in this process that it, you know, it often takes a lot longer and it often takes a a few more or a lot more cycles than people are expecting. And so that phenomenon kind of happens where people are just like, I hear this all the time in clinic where people are like, I'm just done. I'm just done with this whole thing. Yes. Oh my gosh. I, um, it's like the it's like the fertility version of like I'm tired. You know what I mean? Like when you just how are you doing? I'm so tired. It's like mm-hmm. if you ask someone in fertility, it's like how are you doing? I'm just done. 
I'm done with this. Like, I'm just like meh. That, everything just is meh. meh. So what tools or tips or what do you find to be helpful for someone that is dealing with this type of burnout? I know, I know we're probably similar in some of it, but I'm always so curious. Um, like, what do you think are the best ways to kind of handle that? Yeah, of course. So like we talked about earlier, there's a lot of contributors to this kind of thing that happens that are beyond our control. So like it, we can't really control the fact that the procedures themselves are super invasive and they're physically painful and they have side effects. We can't control the fact that it's a big time commitment. You're at the clinic all the time. You have all these appointments. There's this sense of kind of this emotional labor that the person with eggs and ovaries will often carry. Like They're usually the ones making all the appointments and doing all the things and asking the questions and coordinating things. And then you know, there's the part where we think maybe it's just going to take one cycle, but it's usually a lot longer than that. And we can't control any of that stuff. But what I'm really interested in taking a look at when it comes to infertility burnout is just that inner dialogue, the way you talk to yourself. And it's kind of noticing those themes that come up over and over and over again. Like, I'm not good enough. What's wrong with me? I'm broken. Like those things over and over again, if we allow them to be in our brains, will eventually wear us down and and cause burnout. And that is what I like to focus on with my patients and clients is focusing on, okay, well, what can we control? We can control the way I'm thinking about this. And that's not to say that I'm venturing into this area of toxic positivity. I'm not like, yeah, the raw, raw rainbows. Let's just be positive all the time. I'm not about that at all. I think we should feel all of our feelings that come up along the entire spectrum of human emotion, but also acknowledging, hey, this thought that I'm broken, that's actually optional. And where is that coming from? Maybe it's coming from the fact that I was socialized as a woman and told my whole life that my only value as a human is to make more humans and to be sexually attractive to men. And that, you know, that gets in there. And let's take a look at it. And maybe that'll ease some of the tension. I love this topic so much because it's so much of the work that I do around um, having a choice in how you want to go about this. And I know from personal experience, because I've done this work in the sense of um, taking a step back and being like, is this thought serving me? Is this thought a fact? Like, where is the thought coming from? And am I going to choose to keep living with these thoughts that are coming? Some of them are just coming from either society or social media or like my past or my parents or different voices. They're not my voice. And what voice do I want to listen to as I like take on the hardest experience of my life to date? Like how do how do I want to do it? Um, I say to my clients all the time, it's like, you know, you're going down this path anyways. You've made a decision, like we're doing this. So now we're up against like, how are we doing this? And I think when we're in this fertility sort of jail, I don't really hear a lot of people talking about having an option of how to do it. Everyone is just shouting from the rooftops about how hard it is and how much of a struggle it is and how broken you are and how much shame there comes and all of this stuff, which isn't isn't um, not true necessarily, but some of that stuff is a choice. And I got to a point for me personally where I was like, I don't want to struggle through this anymore. There are going to be moments that are really fucking hard, but I don't want that 
I don't want this journey to look like that for me. And it starts with having awareness of your thoughts. Yeah, a hundred percent. And I'm not sure if you do this with your clients, but one thing that I like to to take people through, and this often comes out in conversation just when I'm in clinic or talking to somebody, but if they're looking for kind of a little thing they can do on their own, I like to give them homework to do what I call a thought download, where if they're feeling like a particular kind of icky emotion or feeling in their body and they're not quite sure where it's coming from, they're just kind of feeling anxious or overwhelmed or unsure, I just say, do a thought download and you just get a piece of paper and a pen and just write down everything in your brain. Just fill up the entire page. Brain dump. Yeah. Brain dump, thought download. And then to your point earlier, sometimes it's it makes a world of difference just to separate the facts from the thoughts. The facts being what could be proven in a court of law, what everybody would agree on. And to most people's shock, it's actually very little of what's in there is actually a fact. Usually it's just a lot of what you're kind of filtering through your brain. I think this is such an important... I, I, I find with my clients um, when they're gearing up for an IVF cycle, as an example here, you know, um, I always say the closer you get to it's just as an example, a transfer. The best way I can describe it, I think, is your things get hot. You know, things are getting hot and your anxiety is rising. Like the closer you get to touching it, the higher your anxiety comes. Like it's just how it goes. You know, when you're in your two week wait, the beginning of your two week wait isn't as crazy as like the last few days of your two week wait because you're almost there. And so it's all coming up. And what I, what I always have, uh, what I'm saying to some of, you know, the people that I work with is calming down, getting things cool a little bit and like blowing that steam down about what is actually, what you actually have done to get there. Because there's a, I think a huge cycle. I do it myself. I'm in it right now too. I do, which is like, am I doing enough? Even if you've been cleared, I find like even when you're cleared from a doctor that this is happening, that thought is still there to the like very last moment. Like, did I do enough for this round? Yeah. What are some 100%. advice of how to deal with? Oh, I just want to jump in there because that's yeah. a really good one. Am I doing enough? Is the question that often comes up, but what I find is usually behind it is I'm not doing enough or I haven't done this right is another one that I commonly hear. And just to let you know, (laughs) that comes from this idea that again, we're socialized as women to believe that we should constantly be improving ourselves, that we should always be working on ourselves, that we should always be getting closer and closer and closer, closer to perfection. And that There's also this other layer that's kind of, not kind of, it's (laughs) completely promoted by the wellness industry and the health industry and diet culture that you can somehow find this perfect list of things to do to basically action your way out out of a legitimate health problem. So if you just eat the right diet and do the right exercise and meditate correctly and do the right, take the right supplements and see the right practitioners and breathe correctly. If you do all of that right, then your cycle will work out. But the reality is that we don't really have any control over it, unfortunately. And usually these lists that come to a resolution in our health are like a bunch of really kind of unsatisfying tiny little steps in one direction and that will get us to a particular place. But I think a lot of people are looking for that 
silver bullet solution. And it puts everything back on the person's shoulders that's going through it in a situation where there isn't actually any control. And I think it causes this huge amount of cognitive dissonance, especially in the two-week wait, because it's like, well, what I did I eat the right things? Did that piece of cake that I had at my grandmother's 90th birthday, is that going to screw up my cycle? Oh man, I took a day off of exercise. Is that going to screw up my cycle? Oh, I got that really stressful email and I cried. Is that going to screw up my cycle? Like that's the constant inner dialogue that just burns us the fuck out. I'm like, I, I feel my anxiety rise when you like start to say all of those things. Um, I, I also was going to comment on the, um, perfect potion where I find that people in the community, they get pregnant and they're like, well, what did you do? What did you do to get pregnant? And they're like, well, I did this and I did this. And then everyone does and they don't get pregnant. And it's, I think the hardest part about the fertility community is that you actually can't compare yourself like to anyone. And it makes it really difficult because you are searching, constantly searching for, to your point, this like silver bullet. And um, there, it's, it's like this, we're making life and I look, I'm not a spiritual, like religious person. Actually, I want to take that back. I've become way more spiritual in my fertility journey, but I'm not a religious person. But there is this thing around divine intervention, I think, around timing a little bit, around, to your point, just not having control and actually acknowledging that I'm going to do the best that I can do for me, for my life, for my relationships and kind of let the rest take the rest universe, God, whatever you want to kind of lean into, um, take the reins, you know, that's, that's manifestation in a weird way. Right. It's like, yeah, it's also just surrender, just surrender yeah. to the process. That's my and word of the summer. Yeah. I love that. I love that. And also for people who aren't as spiritually inclined, I would also suggest that there's this part where there's just so much that modern medicine and science can't tell us about how the human body works. There's so much that we don't know. There's so much that we don't even have language for yet. And, you know, give us a couple of decades. We might know exactly why somebody might get pregnant and somebody might not get pregnant, but it's this idea that it's actually kind of a total mystery, even to medicine to some degree. And that's why it's hard to go into the chat rooms and see people who are like, okay, I have diminished ovarian reserve and my partner has this factor and this is my FSH and this is my LIH and this is my medication protocol. Who's done this protocol and had success? And it's just like, well, it's not super useful to ask that. And at the end of the day, it really just causes more anxiety by asking for this information that's kind of useless in your own case. Yes. Yes. And, but then you want the community because then you want to like, you want those hopeful stories. So then you can be hopeful that something it's, it's a very, I love that you brought up how new the science is. Like it's not even 50 years old. I mean, we're at a space where um, I think, I think that in the next five-ish years, we'll probably get to a space where they can start to tell egg quality before making embryos, which is going to be huge. That's a huge evolution of science. Um, it's actually bananas that, you know, we're going through all of this with unknowns on our eggs. Um, especially for in, in my case, I'm like, 
you know, are they good? Are they bad? Like I'm still dropping one. Like there's, this is to your point, it's a bit of a mystery. So it's like, put all of the stuff we're talking about today in like a big circle. And there has to be a level of letting go of control because of all of these different pieces in it. Um, And because to like, I think our entire theme today, it creates burnout. And then it creates a life that you don't want to live. And I think that um, that's something that I'm really excited about, that there's people coming up in our space like yourself that is starting to educate different ways of doing this entire journey because we're in it. Yeah, that's a really good point. Um, I think that where the key really lies for this is just to give some thought and intention and purpose to the things we can't control. And at the end of the day, the only thing we can control is the way that we're thinking about it. And our thoughts are what create those feelings inside of our body. And that plays into our, the state of our nervous system, the state of our, our bodies and how they're functioning, how our adrenals are working and that connects to our hormones. And when we're able to, and I don't mean all the time, and I don't mean this in like a raw, raw positive kind of thing. It's Again, it's really important to acknowledge our negative emotions when they come up. But if we can see that for what it is, and then perhaps choose to think about it a little bit differently, then we can actually change the state of our nervous system and begin to heal from that burnout or prevent it from happening in the first place. And I think it's like a tactical like tool um, to relax. So for example, like everyone's saying like, relax, relax, relax. It's like, what does that even mean? Well, for me, it's not like you can turn over and wake up one day and be like, I don't care about this at all. Like that's not reality. You got to teach yourself. You got to teach your subconscious mind to choose different thoughts. It's a practice. Um, And what I also love about this type of work is that it's kind of just a gateway into living your life better. Like forget about fertility for a second. Like this is like what we are talking about is just like a way of living at a higher, better, more whole self. So um, that is what I've taken from my fertility journey is like my fertility is a gateway to me living on a whole other different state of being. And I'm actually very grateful for that as, as I crazy as that might sound, but you know, it gives your fertility a bit of purpose. And, and yeah. I love that so much. Yeah, a hundred percent. Because I mean, you have a, a child, and so you know this from experience. I mean, that uncertainty and that complete lack lack of control and that need for surrender does not stop after you get pregnant and have the baby. In fact, I think it's magnified after the child is actually outside of your body because they are autonomous little humans that, despite our best intentions, are still going to like hurt themselves and get sick and beat other kids up and just like be a little shit sometimes. And there's nothing we can do about it. And so the exercise of like, okay, there's a lot about this that I can't control, but what can I control? Oh yeah. I control how I'm choosing to think about it. So you become a better parent. Exactly. Uh Um, I, yeah, this whole conversation, we could keep going for, (laughs) for days and it's just um, what, okay. So 
before we close this out, what is a practice? Like if somebody wants to learn how to do this, um, what is something very simply that they could do to start to pick a different thought? Yeah. So I think that like we talked about earlier, I like to start with that idea of just a brain dump or a thought download and then just go through and choose one thought. And or it could be a summary of all the thoughts that you've kind of written down. Just kind of choose one sentence. And then from there, you're just going to close your eyes and see how that thought makes you feel in your body. So if it's something like, I'm doing this wrong, that might make you feel anxiety. And then you can start to think about, okay, well, it's actually optional to think that I'm doing this wrong. Also, I'm recognizing that it's coming from my conditioning and other sources and diet culture and a lot of other things that are contributing to this soup. And yeah, I actually don't like this thought and I don't want to keep it. And then you could try on other thoughts and see how they feel in your body. And that's a really great place to start, just recognizing that a lot of the ways we think about ourselves through this process is totally optional. I love that. Yeah, I have something I write out every almost every day, which is, I'm exactly where I should be. And I just like love that. It like it like cools me down so much. Um, it takes so much of my pressure off and it allows me to like know that I'm making the right decisions as I go through this because I'm exactly where I should be. Um, as hard as that, that's a thought that serves me. In yeah. And I'm you know right that because it creates a different feeling in your body when you think about it. Like when you think, and what was your thought again? It was I'm exactly it, where I need to be. I'm exactly where I should be. Where I should be. And that creates for you this kind of taking your nervous system down a few levels. It cools down your body. And you can actually sense that happening as you're feeling it. And that's how you know the difference between this is actually real versus I'm just saying affirmations in the mirror. I'm a beautiful goddess and I'm a lotus flower opening. Like My that ovaries really... are perfect and they yeah. have babies. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And if that, if thinking that creates a good change in your body, great. But for a lot of people, they're going to be like, this is actually bullshit. I yeah. don't believe that at all. So picking some really, really tiny thoughts, like... Yes. I'm beginning to entertain the idea that maybe I'm not broken or something like it's actually society that's telling me that this is the only purpose in life or I, I don't have to compare myself to others. I love your suggestion on something that's like really easy to digest because I do think for mine, people hear that and they're like, whoa, I can't, I don't believe that. Right. And um, I love these suggestions of like, maybe I'll consider this and that then you then you normalize to that, right? And then you can jump another level. Then you can kind of start to jump into tweak. Um, I, I will also say that this the I'm just using myself as an example, this this sentence that I've done. I not, didn't necessarily believe it from the beginning, but I wanted to believe that thought. And so through repetition and writing it out every day with the intention of like, I, I started to normalize to it. So I also feel like there's this idea of like, I really, I'd like to get here. I might not be here yet, but if you write it out enough times and it becomes a new voice, right? Over time, because the reasons you're believing all these other ideas is because of repetition, ultimately. A hundred percent. Just hearing it over and over and over and over again. Yeah. So let me ask you the final question. 
which I feel like, what are you going to pick from your toolbox? (laughs) What advice would you give someone starting day one of their fertility journey? That's such a good question. I love that. I think that along the theme of today's conversation, my advice would be put some time and thought just into noticing the way you're talking to yourself. 12 plus years into this work, I've noticed that most people have the same conditioning and thoughts of themselves. And it looks a lot like this is my fault and I have to do this perfectly. And there's something wrong with me and I'm a bad partner. And my advice would just be to simply notice that inner dialogue. And from there, you ultimately get to decide if you want to keep it. I love that so deeply. This has been beautiful, beautiful conversation. I feel like listeners are going to get so much from it. Um, And if you're listening and you want to message either one of us to say you've given this a try or what you've gotten from this conversation, I know both of us would love that. Where can people find you? Yeah, great question. So I hang out on Instagram. So you can find me just my name, Michelle Kapler. And if you're in the GTA, the greater Toronto area, and you're looking for clinical services, I have a couple of locations there. And then if you want to connect to have a conversation for support or mentorship, all that information can be found on my website, which is www.michellecapler.com. And if you're liking these conversations that are like, you know, more about feminism and fertility, uh, you can hop over to my podcast, which is the Infertility Stress Podcast. Ooh, love that. They're going to love that. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for having me. This is a great conversation. So that was my interview with Emily. It was such a pleasure to talk to her about fertility and socialization and feminism and thought work and human brains, all of my favorite topics. That's going to be it for me this week. Don't forget to sign up for my email list so you can get the info for the membership coming out in just a few weeks. I'll be back next week with another episode. Until then, you've got this, my dear.